Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Okay. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I'm David. And today, really excited to speak with our guests. It is Football Sunday, and for most people that are interested in Football Sunday, we like to keep score. We like to see, you know, who's winning, who's losing, the win column, the loss column, and many people that watch sports kind of do that in life as well. What is the win column, the loss column? And today, our guest is the author of The Round of Life. He's talking about three reasons to give your life a scorecard. And so we're going to look at how our guest talks about how we can keep score. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Should it be a combination of some sorts? Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Andre Hu to the podcast. Welcome, Andre. Oh, hi, guys. A pleasure to be here. Yes, thanks for being Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Thanks for being here on a Sunday. Uh, we've already established that <laughs> the candle burns on both ends when it can, and so we try to make the time to speak with our guests uh, anytime possible. So we're glad you could make it. I appreciate you guys making the time for me. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Sure. So, you know, when we talk about sports, and I'm a big sports fan, David's a big sports fan, and it is Sunday, the day after Championship Saturday. So for those that watch college sports, you know, it was a bunch of scores that determined if people were going to move on to the to the to the playoffs or not or their particular bowl. So, you know, here in the States, there are a lot of times that we keep score. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your background and, and what gave you the impetus to even write a book about keeping a scorecard. Yeah, my background is actually a physical therapist. I uh, worked for about 20 years in that industry. Uh, got a little burnt out, and it was during that same period where uh, I was playing around golf with my buddies. And uh, one of those days where um, you know, I just made a, a decision to, to just focus on enjoying the round and uh, I was more observant of how my uh, playing partners were handling their round and the adversities they were facing. And the thought just occurred to me, of, of, you know, the metaphor to life. Um, you know, we come upon all sorts of hazards and adversities and challenges in our lives, and, and, and how do we each respond to that? And as I saw them going from bunker to bunker and struggling just to get in the fairway, get off the tee box, um, you know, it, the, the thought just occurred to me, hey, the, the, we all keep score. Uh, we're so focused on our score. Uh, can that is that a good thing or a bad thing? And the thought just evolved eventually into uh, the thought of writing my uh, book, my life story, because I've been through quite an eventful life, and it was something I wanted to share the lessons and insights that I've gained from it, and also for my children to leave a legacy behind for them, the lessons that I wanted uh, to put down on paper for them that I may not be able to. Uh, later, so uh, it just evolved into uh, the two passions for me: golf and parenting, and uh, just uh, and, and life, and just pursue my passion of 
uh, always wanting to write a book for myself uh, and get published. And so I combine all those three into one concept, and voila, the, the concept of the round of your life came about. Uh, it's basically a story of uh, my life using golf as a metaphor to share it. I love it. I love it. And as a self-professed capital S in, as in slicer, <laughs> I will say that <laughs> it, it's really funny. Uh, right before the podcast started, I, I was talking about uh, when I was in the corporate world, we had to take a lot of clients out and, and you know, you do dinner, you do a lot of golfing. And I, what, early on, I learned the hard way of keeping score where I was so competitive that I actually beat some clients and, and our business was negatively affected. Yes, it, it was. Um, and I blame it on Will Ferrell because he said, if you're not first, you're last. And so I kept that as a credo. <laughs> so for the, all the type A's out there, obviously I'm bringing some levity, but <laughs> I thought I I'd share that with you. <laughs> yeah, I can totally relate to uh, being a slicer too, though. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you because you know, with golf, there is that saying, and, and we did, I did learn that more so in the business world that you find you really know more about a person by the way that they play golf. Because, like you said, it is an individual sport. You see how they're handling the challenges and the triumphs and and the headaches. And so, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about were you able to look into maybe uh, friends, colleagues, business partners by playing golf with them? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, there's a quote, um, I think, by P.G. Wodehouse. Uh, it's in my book. Uh, it's called, uh, the, the saying goes, to find a man's true character, play golf with him. And there's been times where, uh, you know, I've seen uh, playing partners uh, used to foot wedge quite uh, liberally, <laughs> And, and, and you can, you can kind of just gain a sense that if they're doing that on the golf course, they're going to do that in life as well. And it, it just something about that just makes you kind of just lose a little bit of uh, sense of trust uh, for his lack of integrity there. Now, if it's something y'all agree to ahead of time, hey, you know, just take a free drop there and y'all agree to it, that's, that's not a big deal. Uh, but uh, in a true golf environment and you see a guy uh, cutting corners and cheating, uh, breaking the rules like that, then you just know it's a guy that you might not be able to trust um, in, in real life. Uh, and also uh, just their, uh, just their character and their demeanor. Um, you know, if, if they take the game so seriously, uh, then you wonder – how uh, how other aspects of their lives uh, they might be uh, affected by uh, just issues that uh, aren't revealed uh, there that, that that's affecting every aspect of their life uh, and so yeah uh, you can definitely tell a lot by a man's character by playing golf with him for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I do want to begrudgingly give a shout out to the older men and women out there uh, because. Young, when I was younger and, you know, strapping young man, if you will, and I had a terrible – I used to play baseball a lot. So I had a terrible golf swing because it was a baseball swing. Mm. And there were a ton of people that were in my age group, and we could never understand why the older people were doing so well. And they, it wasn't really a strength thing. So it really – 
was a trigger for me when you said that enjoying the round, you got more out of your golf game. For sure. Um, we, uh, I, I guess it ties back to the concept of keeping score, uh, what you mentioned earlier. I do qualify it in the um, uh, in, intro part of my book that the only reason why anyone should keep score in perspective uh, of their own potential and not use it as something to compare themselves to how other people were doing. Because if you do that, you're just setting yourself up for, uh, for, for uh, endless misery, uh, you know, because there's always going to be people better than you and there's always going to be someone that you're better than. Uh, so but to get to, to really, uh, the, the true reason to keep score is to really compare yourself to your own potential in life. Um, and so I do qualify that uh, uh, in, in the early parts of my book. And back to what you're saying about uh, the three reasons why a person might want to keep score. Um, you know, because if you're not keeping score, you kind of don't get the proper perspective. Sometimes you might play a full round of golf, and at the end, you think you did really, uh, did really uh, poorly. But then you look back and and you look at the score, and it was better than what you thought. Uh, because you might have had a better day putting than you realized, or uh, you know you, you had a lot of saves uh, off the green. Uh, so that helps to get perspective uh, by keeping score. Uh, so that's one of the main reasons why uh, I encourage everybody to keep score. Absolutely. Uh, and let's stay with some metaphors here of life uh, with sports and keeping score. So, uh, again, this is going to be another begrudging acknowledgement, but as a <laughs> As a gator blood breathing everything fan, uh, I do have to acknowledge and give a shout out to the quarterback uh, of the Alabama, <laughs> Alabama oh, yeah. uh, yesterday, where I think the metaphor of keeping score is a perfect uh metaphor for his life in that he was the head quarterback. He, he's gotten the SEC accolades in his earlier career, and then he was replaced you know, by another one, like, as you said, you said uh, some people are better and some people are not. And he actually sat on the bench for the whole year. And a lot of the experts felt, you know, with his, with his skill set that he would have left and, you know, try, you know, like LeBron, take his talents to elsewhere, to Miami, what have you. And he did not. And it is a total story of how he, you know, rose from the ashes to actually beat Georgia yesterday. I'd like to get your take on that. Well, you know, my wife uh, went to Alabama, and so uh, most, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And I went to Ole Miss, so you know, once a year oh, cool. we always uh, a weekend where you know we're we're not talking to each other. <laughs> but um, for the for the most part, every other game, I, I I do find myself trying, trying really hard to pull for her team. But, um, you know, regarding that Alabama quarterback, Jalen Hurts, I mean, I'm, I'm just so impressed by him um, and just his, his calm, cool demeanor and how he just never gave up and he just hung in there and, and, and just stayed with the team when he could have transferred and gotten out. Um, and it was just so ironic just the way things uh, unfolded there where uh, he, he pretty much repaid the favor. You know, last year he was struggling and, and the other quarterback, freshman quarterback, came in and saved the, the championship for him. And this year, uh, the other guy was injured, and he came in and saved uh, pretty much uh, a chance for Alabama to go to the championship game, uh, playoffs. So uh, 
you know, I, uh, just his demeanor and just the way he was able to kind of, I think he, he probably took a step back and got perspective of things, and that's what helped him through this whole uh, trial here uh, with the whole season and, and, and being a good teammate. Um, and and uh, I'm just so impressed with him. And even after the victory, it wasn't all about him, uh, if you can see by his, his reaction. It was pretty much... Uh, about his team and his teammates, um, and even the other quarterback uh, came up and, uh, and 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 congratulated him. So it showed real nice class between the two, um, mm-hmm. good sportsmanship, and, and I was so impressed by that. But so yes, um, kind of hard to bring up an Alabama win, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, well, let's say that since I mean I do we. I do live here in Georgia. I like living here and, and all that good stuff. So oh, yeah. I will extend a, a little olive branch in that for the past two years, they were ahead of Alabama, right? Like if you're a king of the mountain, of course, everyone wants to beat Alabama. But in, in, right. in each instance for the past two years, Georgia was ahead and they couldn't sustain that lead. So I'm sure if we're continuing with the metaphor that they're keeping score, what would you suggest to – uh, those guys that were so close to uh, kissing the sun and got burned. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, as far as uh, keeping score on uh, for for a for a single, uh, what I would say to you know, keeping score for a single game versus uh, keeping score for an overall round of life. Um, you know, lots of times you have a bad hole uh, where you 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 quadruple or uh, or worse score on on a hole, but Lots of people get let one bad hole take them down uh, for the rest of the day or for the rest of, I mean, just for an extended period of time. Uh, and the same thing there with the Georgia game. You know, they they had they came so close and they lost the game. But if they don't, if they lose perspective that hey, it's it, it's a long journey, and it's just not not just one game, then it might affect them into the next game. Uh, uh, for example, because I don't think they're still fully out of the playoffs the way they played. And so that's the metaphor that I would apply to the full round. Lots of times you wake up and uh, for me, let's say my kids are having a rough time getting out of bed and it's just a rough morning. And I can allow those little moments uh, to affect the rest of my day uh, and say, oh, man, I got off to a bogey start, you know, and, and, and just continue to spiral my round down downhill and let, let that a bad start affect the rest of my day. But if I keep perspective and say, hey, you know, it's a long round. I have 18 holes to play. It's a long day. I have lots of opportunities left to, to turn it around and not just let one bad start affect that. Uh, then I can get proper perspective and really turn my day around and, and just refocus. And, and I think that's the same metaphor uh, in response to your question about how they can apply that uh, to help overcome this uh, defeat. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a gut-wrenching defeat for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, unless you really keep focus of the overall big-picture perspective that, hey, they're still not out of it yet, they, they played well, uh, sure, they made mistakes, um, but I think uh, hopefully they'll get another opportunity, uh, you know. So that's, that's how I would encourage those guys to, to uh, apply that metaphor uh, to that game. Sure. And uh, the the other game afterwards, and I'm a big fan of of um, Ohio State just because their coach was was the Gators coach before he went to Ohio State. Yeah, and so when, 
Urban Meyer, and when you're keeping score, you know, they lost one game, and, and they've, they've won back-to-back uh, championship conference games just like Alabama. So, you know, the argument is, is should they be considered? And they're obviously keeping score of, you know, we should still be at the dance. I mean, that quarterback, he, I mean, if he doesn't win the Heisman Trophy after last night's game, 500 points and 500 yards in passing, you know, all these are scores that uh, I guess, especially, especially as men, that we use to merit worth. Yeah, um, uh, th- th- that's a great point too. Is that um, you can really um, use the scorecard to your advantage or disadvantage based on your perspective, um, and uh, that's one of the points in my book where. Uh, you know, if, if I apply the scoring concept uh, of around my life, uh, the metaphor, I am right now 47 years old. So I am in the early parts of my 11th hole. The concept of my book is I break down a person's lifespan. Uh, the current average lifespan in the United States is about 80 years old. So the first 40 years, I break into the front nine, and the, the last 40 years, I break it up into the back nine. And uh, just based on that system, uh, I just finished my 10th hole. I'm on my 11th hole. And for most people, they can look at it as a midlife crisis, as, you know, if they have a negative perspective and say, wow, my life is more than half over uh, if you take the 80-year-old, uh, 80 years as an average lifespan. And they get a, in, in, into a, in a panic, if you will, and say, wow, what have I done with my life? And, and, and and it's almost over. Uh, and all these negative midlife crisis-inducing thoughts. Um, but on the flip side, if you take it uh, with a more optimistic perspective and say, wow, you know, I still have almost half a round left or more to do something and, 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 and turn things around and, and not let the front nine define me and who I am on my score card. Uh, and so just the... The attitude, if you will, um, and the thoughts that you use uh, to either empower you or limit you can really make a big difference on, on, on how you perform for the rest of your round. And that's one of the main reasons why I encourage people to keep a scorecard because, uh, number one, it gives them proper perspective and in, in, in insight. Unless you go through each and every hole and give yourself a scorecard, you really don't know how well or how poorly you've done. And if you don't know where, you're, uh, where you've been and how you've performed, it's hard to form a game plan moving forward uh, and say, hey, what have I done well? What's gone right? What good choices have I made so that I can continue to make more of those good choices uh, versus, um, hey, what, where have I gone wrong? What bad decisions have I made? And is there a common theme that, I keep, uh, that keeps recurring the same type of bad choices, bad decisions uh, in life so that I can avoid making more of those decisions and bad choices for the remaining part of my round. And so that's one of the helpful uh, things with keeping a scorecard. It gives you that kind of 40,000 sky view um, perspective of your life uh, and and your round. And uh, once you can break it down in that manner, hole by hole, Again, you can kind of see where your strengths and weaknesses are and look back and, and gain uh, some personal lessons for yourself that you can apply and say, hey, this is a lesson I learned so I don't make the same mistake again. 
or this is no lesson that, hey, this is what I need to continue doing, keep focusing on to really um, to, to make the most of my remaining round. And so the third thing, uh, the third reason why you want to keep it scorecards is that by applying the first two steps there that I just mentioned, it gives you a chance to come up with a strategy to really make the most of your, the rest of your round. So that's, uh, that's a powerful way to really uh, view your life, if you will, uh, used in the scorecard method in, uh, that, that I propose in my book. And, and since you are a golfer, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the greatest comeback this year with Tiger winning a major. And oh, yes. after many years of being counted out, um, it, it fits into your three reasons as to, uh, you know, you had your glory, you had your um, pinnacle, you had your valley, and now you're back in the pinnacle again. Um, what, are, what would you say as far – I want to get your take on the whole Tiger situation, but the other part of that is how are you able to get out of that bunker when, you know, you're using all your strokes and you just can't get out of that bunker of life? Um, a great question. My view on Tiger uh, – you know, I know that Tiger is a very polarizing figure. You either really hate him or you really like him. That's, you know, I haven't met many people that are in between. Um, but regardless of where they stand on, uh, on the Tiger issue, I think one thing that you cannot deny is his resilience um, and, 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 and his, his, his mental strength in overcoming all sorts of adversities in his, in his life. And as someone that, um, you know, that I describe in my book, as someone that's overcome so many personal obstacles and adversities in my life as well, I can totally relate uh, and appreciate what Tiger's been through. And uh, moreover, with my background as a physical therapist and dealing with patients that's gone through back surgeries, much less, you know, one back, back surgery, much less two or three that Tiger's been through, you know, I wrote, I personally wrote him out, wrote him off, and I said, he's done. His career is done. There's no way, because I've seen patients just struggle just to get out of bed and just mm-hmm. struggle to walk, much less swing a golf, uh, golf club. And for him to not just swing, but swing at a high level enough to compete, and not just compete, but to win, uh, it's just the most impressive thing that I've ever seen in my life, uh, you know, from a physical uh, and mental combination standpoint. Uh, and so that's, that's why I sit on Tiger. Um, I, I just really appreciate the journey that he's been through and the struggle that he's, and the struggles that he's faced and, and still be able to come out on top. Uh, I don't think many people can really appreciate and understand what it's like to live in such a public um, domain like that where every little aspect of your life uh, is, is, is open to the public and scrutinized and, 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 and analyzed. Uh, and, and that's, I can't relate to what that is like, but I can just understand, I just appreciate how tough that must be. Um, because, you know, as golfers, we go out in the tee box and just standing in front of three of our partners, how much pressure and how difficult that can be just to get that first swing off the tee box mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and hit the fairway with that much less a whole gallery of people, much less millions of people on TV watching, and much less, you know, all sorts of commentators ready to just jump on you, you know, to, 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 to beat you down and, and, and break down your swing and criticize you. So that's just so impressive with Tiger. Um, as far as your, the second part of your question with 
you know, when you're going from bunker to bunker and how to get out of it. Uh, one thing that I've learned is just focus on the next step. You know, uh, there was this uh, story that, uh, that I came across recently about this guy who really had almost like no arms and no legs. I forgot his name, but he was able to ca- uh, climb Mount Everest. And, oh, yeah. and that was, and it's just so impressive. And, and the story of how he did it, you know, when he was close to top and he was ready to give up, he just changed his focus on just focusing, hey, can I take the next step? And once he, he took that next step, he focused on, hey, okay, can I take the next step after that? You know, just focus on the step that's immediately in front of you. And so recently, um, you know, I, I got back into, um, a run, I hate running, but, you know, as part of this program that I'm going through, I resumed running. And at the end of my run, when I was about ready to give up, I said, man, that's all I can do. I, I, I give up. I just thought about that guy's story. I wish I, I remembered his name. But the sidewalk that I was running on, it had, you know, it, it had little uh, segments of squares, you know. And so I just focused on the next square of concrete. And say, like, surely I have enough energy and strength and endurance to, to, to run that next square. And once I made that next square, I focused on the next square and then the next square and then the next square. Instead of looking so far ahead and you see well, I was overwhelming, I still got like another mile to go to reach my goal and it's overwhelming. But if I just focus on just that next square, then I can do it. So same thing with the bunker. You know, don't, don't worry so much about the overall score and what, uh, how it's damaging to your scorecard. If you focus on that, then you lose sight of what you need to do to execute that next shot. So when you're in the bunker, just focus on, hey, okay, what do I need to do? Head down, feet stable, you know, hit through the sand and, and just get the ball up and get the ball up on there. And then just focus on that next shot that you got to execute. So that would be my advice. So if you're struggling mm-hmm. with uh, going through a whole bunch of adversities in your life, I would just say, hey, what's the next thing that I got to do to just keep going, you know? whether it's the next meal I have to prepare, the next assignment I have to finish, or simply, hey, I just got to get out of bed. And then after that, hey, let's just finish brushing my teeth. And then next, let's just take a shower. Let's just get dressed. Just focus on that task at hand one step at a time. And before you know it, you'll have a series of consecutive wins that can build momentum and help get you to turn your whole day, whole round, whole life around, uh, pretty much if you just take that mindset. So that's what I encourage people. Now, my second part of that question is it's some levity because uh, I think it's a national campaign. So I'd like to talk about the Dr. Pepper commercial and that, you know, the guy, he injured his wrist and he can no longer grill. And, he, and so the coach tells him, uh, you gotta, you got to pick a new career. You can't grill anymore. And he's like, well, I've grilled my whole life. What do I do? And uh-huh. many, you know, of course, of levity. But a lot of people are in those situations linearly where they maybe uh, studied to be a doctor their whole life. And now they're at these crossroads because, yeah, I understand taking that next step. But that next step was going to lead me to being a doctor and now that's off the table. I can't be a doctor anymore in this example. So what would you say to someone going through something like that? That's a great question. Uh, I would say always be flexible as well. Um, you know, if, if let's say, um, just that same example where, where a guy uh, has 
set all his goals and all his dreams on on, on being a doctor, and it and it turns out that you know he didn't score high enough on his MCAT or doesn't have the grades or or the uh, other parts of his resume to be competitive to get into medical school, you know, to to be flexible and, and realize that, hey, things happen for a reason. It might be a blessing in disguise. And most times, more often than not, uh, I found that to be the case. Um, so the worst things that can happen to you can be the best thing to happen to you in your life. Uh, for me personally, one of the worst things to ever happen to me uh, in my life that affected me uh, was being abused by my stepfather. Uh, it, I mean, it just did a lot of damage to me growing up. Uh, it just killed my self-esteem, self-worth, significance. I just felt unimportant. But now looking back, that turned out to be one of the biggest blessings in my life because you know, now having three young children uh, who are currently ages six, seven, and nine, you know, one of my biggest passions in life is to be the best parent I can be to them. And I know for without a doubt in my heart that I would not be the type of parent I am to them today because I'm so proud of the connection and the relationship I have with them because I've been so passionate in reading up and acquiring as many parenting skills and tools that I can to be the best parent I can be. I would not be that type of parent and would not have had that type of drive were it not for the abuse that I endured and suffered when I was uh, young. And so that's what I would say to, to, to people who are going through that, that lots of times when your dreams and goals are sidetracked, it may seem like the most damaging, crushing thing to happen to you at that time, but, but you just really have to trust that lots of times in life, those type of moments uh, can be a blessing in disguise. It can really lead to uh, gifts later on if you just allow yourself uh, to, to step back, take a big perspective of things. And, again, that's where keeping a scorecard can help. Mm, well said. Andre, let me ask you this. So everything that you just said, how much, you know, I read some of the story of, you know, your family and, and the circumstances when, the, you know, leaving Vietnam and, God, it's just hard to imagine, especially living here in the United States where we're, you know, we're kind of spoiled. We're not kind of. We are just spoiled with everything. But, and you were, what, three years old when? Three, when, yeah. Do you, yeah do, you, do you remember any of that, the the leaving and being at sea for 10 days and all that? Now, most of that time period, um, the stories from that time period are, are from my mother. Um, you know, listening to her and, and recording uh, her stories. I did an interview with her uh, about three Christmases ago uh, when she was in the hospital and uh, just really uh, asked her about that time period because I was too young to recall. And I encourage people to do that too. You know, if you have, if you're lucky enough to have a parent who's still alive, sit down and just make time to interview them about their life, their past, and maybe the time period when you were so young that you don't have enough memories, maybe they'll tell you stories about you uh, and other family members that you know, siblings, that, that you might have not ever gotten a chance to, 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 uh, to hear uh, from them uh, unless you really make an effort to sit down and just record it also because that's a gift that you can share for your children later on. And the reason why I bring that up is 
my mother just passed away uh, last week. Uh, we buried her last week. Mm-hmm. And it wow. made me appreciate so much more the fact that I did do this because now I have something I can go back on and just play that interview that I had with her and, 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 and just listen to her stories. It's just something that's just so priceless and so invaluable and something that I can share with my children later on as well. And so, again, if you are fortunate enough to have a parent still alive, you know, be sure to do that and, and, and just get a tape, uh, a camcorder or a phone and just record that interview with them. Uh, it might take a few minutes for them to just settle down and get comfortable. Once they get going, uh, the stories will start uh, start coming out and, 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 and you'll get really priceless memories uh, from that Um I'm not sure if I answered your question on that or if I got off no, the no, tangent. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, no, no, it's great. And I was kind of leading to, I just imagine your life just thinking about what your, you know, your mom went through and share the relatives and that decision to to get in, you know, in a little boat and shrimping boat or whatever and, you know, leaving in the middle of the night and not knowing what was going to happen. I imagine in your lifetime that's kind of fueled you in ways of like, look, I'm not going to complain about this or that. This is the strength they had to to be able to do this with so much uncertainty. I mean, how many people are just going to go out and just, you know, get right. into a boat and go to the ocean, and you just have no idea what's going to We could all just perish. Maybe it works out. I mean, I, I can't even imagine those some kind of circumstances. And the strength to say, you know what, this is what we got to do, and we just got to do it. I, I appreciate you guys um, giving us a chance to speak about you know, uh, that period of, uh, of my life and especially about my mother because, you know, if, if people read my book, they'll see, they'll understand how much I went through personally. Uh, but as as rough as my life has been, my mother's life has probably been a thousand times rougher. Uh, I mean, it, but yet, you know, here's a lady that, like you said, you know, she struggled when the minute she, the time, from about 10 years old on, uh, living in a third world country in Vietnam there, uh, war-torn. Uh, they had to leave uh, their, their, uh, their, part of the, their hometown there uh, in North Vietnam at the time because, uh, you know, the communists were taking over. And so uh, their whole family picked up uh, and, and moved south uh, to get away from, from, from the regime of the communists. Uh, and then when the war escalated, uh, you know, she lost uh, her first husband, which who was my father. Uh, and so that time period enough is can be traumatic on a person. And like you said, to pick up uh, again after that a few years later and leave the whole country behind and 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 put all your hopes and dreams into a new country uh, that you don't even know the language, uh, you can't speak English, and you, you don't have any uh, vocational skills even to to. Uh, to make a living for yourself. Uh, and so to go from that and then remarrying another man who ended up being so abusive to her and to me and to her children, uh, uh, and, and then on top of that, you know, they eventually put all their, this is not in the book, but they put all their savings into a shrimp boat only to lose it in a, in a storm because they didn't have the uh, funds to, to buy insurance on it. And so they lost all their life savings on that. And then a few years later, working so hard, I mean, this is a probably 115-pound lady who was lifting 100-pound boxes of shrimp 
you know, to, to, when they were uh, when they opened up their seafood store uh, in Alabama there, uh, and and she worked so hard, and then they built rebuilt their life back up, uh, and they were able to be successful with their uh, seafood business, only to lose it all again when mm. uh, when when their uh, their home was invaded by an intruder, shot my stepfather, and paralyzed her for life, and you know, just. Imagine going through all that, but that's only half the story. The other half is she lost a daughter crossing the street when she was 12 and got hit and killed by a car, and she had to take her off life support, you know, because she was brain dead, declared brain dead by the doctors, and then lose another daughter uh, through when a drunk driver uh, hit and killed her, her daughter there, and then losing it all again in Hurricane Katrina. I mean, she's been through enough to last several lifetimes, but yet... Mm. She always had an optimistic outlook on life. And if I can share real quick the three things that I really felt helped her endure all those events and tragedies in, in, in her life and still have such a positive outlook, and, and you never saw her complaining about her fate in life. Um, the, you know, the first was her faith. She had such a strong faith in God that she, the more, more difficult her life got, the more she turned to God for her answers. The second was hope. She never lost hope. Even when she was paralyzed, 5, 10, 15 years later, she still had hope that she could one day walk again. Any possibilities of going for any type of treatment, whether it be acupuncture or chiropractic or you know re, some sort of new therapy, uh, we always supported her on that because she never lost hope and we never wanted to take that hope away from her. And so that hope kept her going. And the third is love. I mean, she had so much love for God, so much love for her family, so much love for others, even strangers that you know, she kept praying for uh, who were going through tough times. And I think those three things that really helped her um, overcome all these obstacles uh, in her life. And she's a role model for me. She is someone I look up to, and whenever I have a bad day, you know, I just say, hey, if my mom can be in the wheelchair and still be happy and still uh, find a way to just have a fulfilled life and a positive outlook uh, and attitude, then there's no reason why I can't overcome whatever issues I'm having uh, for that day as well. So I encourage every single person out there uh, to keep that in mind. She's just an inspiration for me. Yeah, well, absolutely. Say. Yeah, sorry for your loss too. Yeah, yeah. oh no, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. But uh, you know, when when she died pretty suddenly of an aneurysm uh, last week, and it was a blessing in that she didn't have to suffer, and it's a blessing in that uh, she was prepared, she was ready to go. She she told us for years, hey, if the Lord is really taking me, I'm ready to go at any time. And so knowing how much pain and suffering that she's been through, I was at peace knowing that, hey, she no longer has to suffer, even though she never complained about it. But I knew deep inside that, you know, it, it was still crushing uh, for her to overcome all those deaths and all those losses in her life and still be confined to a wheelchair, uh, but yet so willpower to fight and be independent uh, uh, in, in her life and, and still make the most of it by just sharing and spreading love to all those around her. Uh, and that's just so inspirational. 
So I was at peace. Yes, I was at peace with her death, um, and uh, I know she's in a better place. So I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a blessing, really. Absolutely. Yeah, you never know what we're going to cover in intrinsic motivation from a homie's perspective, man. So. <laughs> you guys have an amazing podcast. I've listened to some of your previous episodes, <laughs> and I, I appreciate it. So, yeah, I appreciate um, this opportunity as well. So I appreciate you guys. Sure. And just a few more questions. We're not done yet. Um, but I do want to ask, I want to get your opinion on, um, there's this TV show with, uh, he's a comedian, subject to entertainer. It's called The Neighbors. And in the neighbors or the neighborhood or something, um, you know, they grew up, this is the neighborhood that they knew, and then they have uh, these new people move in, and they're making lighthearted about the subject of gentrification where uh, your identity changes or the identity of a community changes. And I want to get your opinion of, your, you didn't know it, but speaking with your mom and, and knowing about the mother country in Vietnam, and then fast forward to 2018 where it's more of a, a vacation as the destination for tourism. And so it, it's totally different today, but maybe the, the identity of the mother country isn't the same as it once was. I wanted to get your take on that. Well, I had a chance, um, I've had a chance to go back uh, twice. The first time uh, was shortly after high school. Um, and uh, to visit my grandmother. The second time was a few years later to, uh, uh, after she died. So, you know, I, of course, I don't have any memories of, of the country when I was young. Uh, but the first time I went back, it was such a contrast because going to my grandmother's village, you know, you can still see a lot of it was kind of like a third world type of environment. Uh, not much electricity. Uh, you know, not, uh, there were no working flushable toilets, if you will. Uh, of course, my grandmother was blessed enough to have some of my aunt and uncles uh, actually build a home that did have some of those things. But for the most part, the rest of their, uh, her neighbors did not have that luxury. And then you walk only about a mile down the road and here's this luxurious golf resort, mm -hmm. five-star hotel, and it's such a contrast. Uh, you know, I, I hadn't picked up golf at the time, but I could still appreciate just the, just the luxurious greenness of the course uh, and, and, and the high-rise hotels and the palm trees. And, it, and it's such a beautiful country. And they, you know, uh, it is a positive, you know, all the tourism uh, aspects of it are being developed there so to, to really bring out the natural beauty uh, of the country. Um, but at the same time, you know, you walk a mile down and just see the contrast of the third world country. And, 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 and that's one of the things that I would struggle with probably if I were to go back there and play an actual round on a course there, because a lot of the caddies there are, are, are female caddies. And, and these are caddies probably making, Gosh, I don't even know how much, but nothing, you know, compared to uh, to other people. But uh, they might make maybe a hundred dollars a month in total, uh, if you will. And 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 these are caddies that you are required to use on the course. And so here you are paying a hundred dollars around people who are making a hundred dollars a month, and they're you know these are 
girls carrying small girls. Most of them, these Vietnamese girls are petite. They're like barely 100 pounds, and they're carrying your heavy golf bags around. Uh, and, and I would struggle playing around on a luxurious course like that. Uh, that's something that I'm not sure I can do. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you have to look at the exploitation, and you're like, well, if, as an right. outsider, they they don't even understand how this situation is, uh, which kind of leads me to my next question. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast Family Ghosts. I know, no. Okay, so it's a it's a really cool podcast on 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 iTunes or your other podcast uh, directories. I'm sure you can find it, and and it's more. This is a question more so to keeping score. So in the family ghost, there's you know a number of episodes, but the one that comes to mind in speaking with you, there's this lady or young, I don't know, she's in her late 20s, early 30s. She's Vietnamese. She's speaking with her mother, and they, it was kind of you were talking about contract, and she was raised here. I think she was even born here in the states. And the mother, as far as keeping scores, you know, she wanted to have a, a better life for her in the states, but her daughter didn't have uh, she didn't have any ties to her ancestry or you know her her mother was trying to get her to you know experience going to the mall and things like that that we take for granted here but also have some reverence for home and so there's something about uh, second generation uh, people that come here immigrants second generation immigrants where they no longer have uh, any ties to their ancestry and with keeping score I, I wanted to get a take with with you uh, for that subject matter, as far as with your kids six, seven, and nine. Uh, is there outreach to, of course, yeah, th- these are the great things here in Houston and the United States, but you should also know about your history. Yes, and and, and uh, I do notice uh, that trend as well. Uh, that a lot of the younger generation children who are born here don't have that same level of appreciation for what their parents went through uh, and the sacrifices that they made to, to give them the opportunities that they have in this great country that we live in. Uh, and that's something that I've put great thought to. Uh, and so some of the things that I did growing up, uh, you know, for my children uh, when they were young was to make sure I'd, we hired a nanny that spoke only Vietnamese so that they can learn and become more fluent in our, you know, uh, in Vietnamese, in, in, in our, my native tongue, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're continuing to do is, uh, in fact, my wife and three children are there right now as we speak. Every Sunday from 9 to 12, uh, they drive almost a half hour away to go to a Vietnamese school so that they can retain uh, the language, how to read, write, and speak the language. Um, you know, even though they were exposed to it when, when they were young with our with our nanny and uh, our, uh, my parents and uh, my mom and her parents uh, coming to visit and staying with us frequently so, so that they can speak and interact uh, in, in Vietnamese, it's still hard for them to get naturally because English, for some reason, is an, an easier language to communicate in. In fact, my wife and I, when we communicate, it's mostly in English, even though we're both fluent in Vietnamese, but we can convey our thoughts uh, a lot easier, more more clarity 
in, in Vit- uh, English and Vietnamese for some reason. So we struggle with that ourselves. So we understand, but at the same time, we, we're really making a conscious effort to help our children retain uh, parts of our culture that we feel are very important uh, to retain. Uh, the, the nine-year-old uh, daughter does uh, struggle with that where she doesn't enjoy going to the school and the class as, uh, as much as a younger two. So we try to find uh, extrinsic ways to motivate uh, her to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that that is uh, certainly a struggle uh, for a lot of the uh, parents my age who are uh, having younger children uh, uh, that are born here. Um, we do plan a trip to go back to the country uh, in Vietnam probably within the next year or two, and I think that will help. Um, but I, I'm not sure I have the perfect answer to, to, to that. Um, I just know that having a family environment where you expose them to uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents who speak the language and have the food, uh, and celebrate the cultural traditions like uh, the Chinese New Year, uh, you know, and, and all the, the traditional uh, the traditions that that are unique to your culture. I think that's important as well for them to take pride in that, uh, and that's one way to help retain that. I think, um, but at the same time, also help them to celebrate and embrace that. Hey, this is part of your identity as well is American culture, the, you know, being American, being, being an American, uh, to embrace all the wonderful, unique uh, strengths and, and benefits that this great century has to offer as well. That, that's something to celebrate and embrace and be proud of as well. Uh, so to have that balance is, as uh, I think, is a, um, can be a source of strength, if you will, like the round of your life. You know, it depends on how it how you choose to look at things and, and the twist that you put on it, whether you see it as a strength or a weakness. Uh, and I, uh, we try to focus and, and make it a positive. Say, hey, embrace both parts of your culture uh, for both have positive benefits that can really enrich your life. Uh, so that's, that's the message that we try to give to our kids. Mm-hmm. Andre, is your, is your wife, is she from Vietnam too? She is. Uh, she's from Vietnam. Uh, she came here when she was seven, so a little bit later than I did. So she had a little bit of memory back um, uh, back then, but still not much. So, um, uh, but yes, she is of Vietnamese uh, descent as well. Okay. So that's something that we have in common. You know, uh, to, we can uh, we we share the same culture, same language. Uh, we enjoy the same foods. <laughs> Uh, and that's a big what is the correct part. pronunciation? Is it pho or fa? Fa. It's fa. fa? Yeah, and in yeah. fact, that's what uh, the plan is for lunch for today. <laughs> you can never go wrong with having fa. Oh, my goodness. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> especially on a cold day, right? It warms the soul. Absolutely. Like, it's like Vietnamese soul food. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, uh, I, I dated a Vietnamese girl, and we did um, reflexology, and, mm-hmm. and then after that we'd have pho. So it was like a perfect day. <laughs> and that, yeah. that, that 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 does sound like a, a pretty uh, pretty cool ideal day there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me now, ask let you. Me, this, I have a. Go ahead. Uh-huh, go, go. I was going to ask you about the pho. Are you 
um, one, there's two types of eaters, right? Mm-hmm. There's one that no matter where they go, which uh, restaurant, the minute their bowl, their hot bowl of food comes out, they're grabbing the, the hoisin sauce and the sriracha and they're, they're pouring it on. And then the second type of <laughs> right? Yes. I know where you're going with this one. <laughs> the second type is kind of where I'm at where, hey, I just take the broth first. And if yes. It's perfect, <laughs> if it's perfect and it's, you know, then then I don't need to add anything else to it. And I just savor it and just enjoy it. As it's, it's like pouring, uh, 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 what do you call it, A1 and in, 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 in 57 on uh, on a steak, right? People are saying, oh, right. that's sin. You shouldn't do that, right? Because you're taking away yes. the full flavor of the steak. And so that's, uh, which one are you? <laughs> I, I'm more of a broth person first. So, okay. yeah. yeah. I've gone through the newbie where I'm like, just try to throw everything on there, and, and I didn't <laughs> gotcha. enjoy it as much. I <laughs> <laughs> see you've got a little bit more refined uh, uh, experience of the eating five too now then, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. I have a, a technology question for you as far as keeping score, and I'm kind of pausing how I ask this question because technology changes so quickly. So 10 years ago, we didn't have the issues we had today, uh, but, and I'm thinking with your kids, 6, 7, and 9, 10 years from now, it may be a totally different conversation, but when you're looking at keeping score, uh, usually with teenagers, but you see some adults that are keeping score with social media. And so they're, they're, they're usually influenced by uh, depression if they're not getting enough interaction, like shares, or they feel elated. So it's kind of that uh, dopamine and adrenaline is, is uh, superficial. And wanted to get your take on people that are, are tethered to their, to their technology as far as keeping score and how healthy or unhealthy that is. Yeah, great question. Um, my approach to my children, uh, as far as social media uh, goes, well, I, I go by the concept of time. For, for a child, love is about time, T-I-M-E. And so I make time to actively engage with them in ways that don't involve technology as much as possible. We're playing board games all the time. Um, we're, we're outside riding our bikes. Um, playing on the playground, uh, and just lots, lots of different ways to interact with them where it doesn't involve social media. You know, they're too young for you know, all the Facebook and, and other things, but the school assignments, last of the school assignments, do require them to get on some of these apps to do their assignments. And that's probably the extent of uh, what they do, uh, how much device time that they do have. Uh, there are a couple of games that they like because some of their friends uh, like it, and we're very careful to screen to make sure that it's uh, that it include violence and and those other. You're, you're breaking up, Andre. Oh, sorry. Breaking up. Yeah. So we we try to make sure that there's things that's not uh, inappropriate for their age level there, and so we always balance that with reading time. They earn device time by uh, with their reading time, and we use a star chart to where hey, if they do deeds that are above again what the normal stars are, they can redeem those stars for, let's say, 10 or 15 minutes of device time. And so we limit it uh, like that. Uh, and, and so that's how we kind of keep that balance between technology uh, and, and, and you know, one-on-one interaction, personal interaction with them. But I would say 90% of my interaction with them 
are, are more face-to-face in person that doesn't involve any type of technology at all. And, and I'm very proud of that, yeah. Good deal, good deal. And so with your book, are, did that create a new life for you as far as becoming more of a, 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 a golf coach or more of a motivational coach? Or where, where has the, the creation of the book, has it led you in directions you haven't imagined? Yes, it has. Um, you know, one of my goals in life is to make as much positive impact on as many people as I can. And when I was working uh, my career as a physical therapist, you know, the difference I could make was limited to that patient, that one patient that was in front of me at that time. Whereas with my book here, I can spread my message out far and wide to unlimited number of people at any one given moment. Uh, and so uh, my, my next um, book that I've got coming out is, uh, is a children's book. Um, it's actually a fun book, not very serious at all. Um, but it's a fun book for parents to sit down and read to their kids at night and good bonding time with them. Uh, and so that was one of my goals for writing it is just, you know, I was inspired by, by my children. I do intend on, as they get older, I want to write books that are, are at that age level so that I can connect with them. And then I can write a book that will allow other parents who have children that same age to connect with their children uh, along that level. Uh, and I've also had the wonderful opportunity to make uh, appearances uh, in school to read my book uh, to children uh, from kindergarten through fourth grade uh, is the age level, or fifth grade, I'm sorry. Uh, and so I see the, the, the smiles and the laughter coming out from these kids, and that warms my heart, that warms my heart. It really adds fuel to my drive to create and write and inspire. Uh, and my first book, you know, The Round of Your Life, uh, the book that we're talking about, uh, I had a print high school principal um, uh, buy that book at uh, one of my first book signings. And a few weeks later, he called me up and asked me to uh, do a speech for his teachers, um, uh, all his staff and faculty before the school season started. And I embraced that, and it was a wonderful opportunity to do a public speaking uh, engagement and spread the message of, um, you know, just a positive message to the teachers and to motivate and inspire them to teach with passion uh, was the message that, uh, because my book, you know, I mentioned, I made references to how several teachers that I named in there made such a huge difference in my life at a time when I really needed it. Uh, So you never know what type of impact you can make on a kid. So if you're a teacher out there listening to this podcast and you see kids in school, you never know what they might have, that kid may, might have been through the night before. Uh, for me, you know, my sister and I, we were kicked out uh, by my stepfather uh, into the cold, freezing night, almost half naked, uh, walking a mile down the road to my uncle's house for a refuge. You know, and the next morning, just remembering going to school and acting, trying to act normal like nothing happened. And so you never know what that person's been through the night before, you know, you know if you're a teacher and the difference that you can make in their life that just showing up and being present and, and just uh, supporting them, encouraging them, and, and just telling them that, hey, their dreams can come true. They just work hard and, and study hard. Uh, and so um, – that's, that's the next phase of my life, and that's the type of impact that I like to make uh, for people. So uh, if they get a chance, um, you know, my, my book's uh, website is uh, golfbrownofyourlife.com, 
and all my media appearances are on there, uh, all my podcast interviews and radio interviews, and hopefully uh, some guys will like, um, can be kind enough, you know, I can add that link to your show on there too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think that's a good way to end it in that not just for teachers, uh, just for people listening, you never know what anyone's going through when you have interaction with them. So keep that in mind and, and think of Andre's story and think of others that you heard as far as intrinsic motivation uh, because you we are impacting people that uh, you may have never even imagined. So uh, it was definitely a pleasure listening to you, Andre, and, and talking sports and all that good stuff and keeping score. Um, so let, let's definitely stay in touch. And uh, yes. it, it was a pleasure. Yes, and that's so, a quick part of your show that I mean, you touched on such a wide variety of uh, topics and issues, and it's just a little bit to it. So uh, it's a really cool part of your show. Fantastic. Well, you've just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I'm David. Andre, let's stay in touch, man. And us SEC ears got to stick together, man. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I, I for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.